Good morning, good morning. I want to welcome you to uh, Alliance Christian Fellowship. For those of you joining us here for the first time, I want to welcome you. My name is Dan Min. I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and it is my pleasure to uh, be with you and bring God's word to you here today. I'm glad you found us here in Alumni Hall. Just kind of moving forward, this will sort of be our normal meeting space, uh, minus a couple of weeks here and there in the month of October and November, which by the way, uh, if at ever you're wondering where we're meeting, because we are going to be shifting around, part of the challenge of meeting here in the hub is uh, Penn State has first rights to like whatever is happening here. And so if there's something happening here in this space, Church gets moved, and so that's just the nature of being a mobile church. We kind of move around. That's okay. Uh, but if you want to receive some real-time notifications on things like that, uh, just a reminder, jump on our texting service, and uh, we, you can get all those updates in real time as, um, as need be. So just want to say glad you're here. Um, today is the first Sunday of the month, which means that we're taking communion, and so if you have not received one of these communion elements on your way in, uh, have no fear. Just go ahead and raise a hand and we'll have some folks coming around and they can get these elements to you and uh, you're going to want that for the end of our service here. We'll, we'll be celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper here together. Those of you who were with us last week, we kicked off a brand new sermon series uh, as we kicked off a brand new semester uh, called Essentials, Essentials, Ancient Beliefs for Today. And throughout the course of the series, what we're doing is we're, we're spending some time unpacking some important doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, we're wanting to uh, identify what it is that we as followers of Jesus believe. Like, what is, what is it exactly that, 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 that the Christian faith holds to as essential beliefs? Like, if, if, if we compromise on anything, we could compromise on a, on a whole bunch of things, but, but these things, these essential pieces, we cannot compromise on. What are those essential faith pieces? Now, you might be surprised. It's astounding at how many Christians have a hard time articulating what it is that they believe. Like, what, what do you believe? What would you identify are essential beliefs to the Christian faith? Furthermore, you'd be surprised at how many so-called Christians believe in the wrong things, right? Like, they say, I'm a Christian, I believe these things, and these are the things that identify me as a Christian. Well, I don't know that those are really orthodox beliefs. Those are true, grounded beliefs. And so we want to get on the same page throughout the course of the series and see if we can align our doctrines a little bit closer to the truth. Speaking of the truth, today we're exploring the doctrine of Scripture. What do we believe about Scripture? Now here at ACF, we have to believe that Scripture is God's holy word to us. We believe that his character, his nature, his, his attributes, his very heart, it's all painted throughout the pages of our Bibles. We believe that Scripture is really the foundation for all of Christian holy living. But you, you may know this already, not everyone believes that. In fact, if I were to walk around this campus with this book and ask people, in fact, I don't think it's exclusive to this campus. I think I could even take this beyond uh, this campus and out to uh, different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and say, what do you think about this book? What do you think, uh, what do you believe about the Holy Scriptures? What might be some common responses we hear? You might hear some say, yeah, that, that book, it's, it's an ancient book. Therefore, it's irrelevant for my life today. 
Let's, let's keep it locked up in a museum. That's where it belongs, you know, with all the ancient artifacts of time. You know, like that, that it has nothing to do with my life today. Maybe you might hear the Bible is boring and uninteresting. There's nothing in it for me. Uh, maybe you might hear the Bible is full of mythology. You know, it, it's on par with fairy tale stories and urban legends. It's really, you know, it's a book of make-believe. The Bible's inaccurate, full of human error. So there, it, it, it can't possibly be trusted. Bottom line, why would anyone today with a brain read the Bible? Now, that might sound ultra-cynical of me. I'm not sure, but I don't think I'm way off base here in assuming that those might be some common assumptions when it comes to Scripture. Maybe you know people in your immediate circle who have said things like that. Maybe you, at one point in your life, have said something along those lines. Because let's be real, reading the Bible can be tough, even for the life of a believer, right? I mean, I, as some of us are saying amen to that, right? Like, I, I've been a Christian all my life, and, and reading the Bible is hard. You know, if you grew up in the church, you've been taught to study the scriptures, to read your Bible every day, and to do your devos. Now, let me ask you, for those of you who grew up in the church, how many of you are batting a perfect average thus far? Right, like how many of you are like, yeah, I have not skipped a day in my life, Pastor. I am going straight to heaven, man. That, that's, my, that's my destiny. Like how, how many of none of us can say that for as long as you've been walking with Jesus as a Christian, none of us can say, yeah, you know, I, I, I've been doing the thing every day. The fact is, reading the Bible can be hard. But I wonder, I wonder the reason for why it's hard, I wonder if it's because of how we approach the Bible. In other words, I wonder for, for the Christians in the room, okay, I, I think the typical approach we take when it comes to this book is one of dutiful obligation, right? I, I, I think that's our typical approach. I'm a Christian, therefore I must read my Bible. And that right there, for a lot of us, sums up our entire doctrine of Scripture, Right, that, that, that right there sums up the, our entire belief system when it comes to the Bible. I'm a Christian, therefore I read my Bible. That's like, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm supposed to read this thing. And we never really give it any more thought beyond that. And friends, if that's our only motivation to read our Bibles, I'm telling you right now, we're not set up terribly well for success. Because the truth is, we all know, we all know, deep down inside, we should do certain things, like read my Bible. We know we should do certain things in life. We should eat healthier. We should exercise more often. We should complete our assignments in a timely fashion. But man, let me tell you, and let me tell you, the reality is it's just easier. It's just easier to scarf down creamery ice cream than it is to make a healthy meal at home. Amen? Like, that's just easier. It's just easier to sleep in than to make my way out to this building or that building and get my workout. And it's easier to submit my assignment on the due date. Due on Sunday, due on Sunday. Right? Like, that's some of our philosophies. It's like, yeah, yeah. That, that's, it's just easier. Pastor, it's just easier. And it's just easier to not read my Bible. So you see, dutiful obligation has never been a great motivator for anything in life. Because we know, we know we should do these certain things in life. We know we should. But it's just so much easier to not. But if I may, I'd love to offer you some alternatives to approaching the Bible that goes a little bit, one step beyond dutiful obligation. I'm not against dutiful obligation. I'm just saying that can't be your key motivator for getting into the Word. 
It's a terrible motivator at the end of the day. And so today, I want to I offer you just a couple of different perspectives when it comes to approaching Scripture. What are we to believe about Scripture? What are we to believe about the doctrine of Scripture? And the first is this. The Scripture is authoritative for our lives. The Scripture is authoritative for our lives. If you're taking notes down, you could just jot that down as, as our first point of, the, of, of scriptural, biblical doctrine of Scripture. What do I mean by authoritative? What I mean by authoritative is this. For the life of the believer, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about those of us who self-identify as Christ's followers, those of us who identify as Jesus' followers, who have bowed our knee to the lordship of Jesus. If that's not you, you're off the hook. I'm not talking to you for just a moment. But for the life of the believer, the Bible becomes our leading authority when it comes to all matters of life. In other words, in everything in your life, in every situation you face, with every relationship you enter into, you're now looking through a biblical lens. You're looking through a biblical filter. And the reason for that is that we believe that scripture is, number one, literally the word of God to us. I want to give you just three quick aspects to the authority of Scripture, and this supports this idea of this authoritative word that reigns as the leading authority in our lives. The first is, it is the Word of God to us. 2 Timothy 3.16, if you want to turn there, you can. We'll put it up here on the screen as well. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this. He says, all Scripture, and he is not speaking in hyperbole here, he's saying all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, the words that we have in our Bibles are not just loosely associated with God. They're not just loosely associated with the God of our faith. The words that we have in our Bibles are literally breathed out by the God of the universe who is governing all things he spoke these words to us to receive. They are the Holy Spirit-inspired word of God spoken to us. And what is it for? It's, for? it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What Paul is saying here real quick is there's not a situation in your life where Scripture does not have say, something to say about it. There's not a moment in your life where Scripture does not have something to inform you on or guide you on it is profitable, it's helpful in every situation that we face. Verse 17, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is the word of God to us. But not only is Scripture the word of God to us, it is also the power of God for us. It is the power of God at work in us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, again, you don't need to turn there. We'll put it up here on the screen for you here. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible that we have in our possession, it is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friends, catch this. What this verse is saying is there is no power greater than the word of God when it is working its way into our hearts and into our lives. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment like this, but have you ever, you've been reading your Bible, right? You're, you're reading scripture, and, and all of a sudden, it seems like the words are just leaping off the pages and onto your heart. I wonder if you've ever experienced that before. You're just studying scripture, you're, you're in God's word, and whether it's early in the morning or late at night, you're reading, and you're going after God, and all of a sudden, it's like this book comes alive. It's like the words begin to jump off and the Holy Spirit begins to transplant the word of God into the heart of man and transformation begins to take place. That is the power of God working its way in your life through the word of God. It's the work of illumination and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God when it is at work in our hearts and in our lives. The scripture is the word of God. It's the power of God, but lastly, the Bible is also the truth of God. The Bible is the truth of God. Listen to what, I want, I want you to catch what Jesus says. In John chapter 17, many of us know that as Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays for his disciples, and he prays his prayer to the Father, and he's essentially praying this prayer for us. In the middle of this lengthy prayer, I encourage you to read it at your, at your uh, own time. In, in John chapter 17, verse 17, he prays this short little statement, and he says, Sanctify them, them is us, okay, in this room. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say, your word is true. He, he says, your word is true. Truth. You see, the word truth there, the word, the Greek word there is aletheia. That word truth is referring to the ultimate truth, the final authority, the last word, the truth. He's not saying that God's word is true, like, like how many other things in life are true. Like, like this music stand is made of metal. That's a true statement. You're, you're sitting. That's a true statement. This, this book is, is, is brown and it's leather bound. That's a true statement. Jesus isn't saying God's word is true much like as much as anything, in, anything else in life might be true the way you would perceive it as true. He's saying God's word is the truth. It, it's the truth. It, it, there, in other words, there's nothing truer than the word of God, than God's truth. It's the truth that we put up against everything else in life to see if what we're experiencing in this life is indeed true. Let me just say that again. God's truth is the truth that we put up everything else in our life up against to see if what we're experiencing in this life is indeed truthful, if it's true. You want to know the real problem? The real problem is we, we've got a lot of people who live our lives governed by a different kind of authority. Hear me for a second. For some of us, our feelings are our ultimate authority. In other words, we determine what is true based on our feelings. Now, our feelings are important. I'm a big feeler. If you know me, I cry easy. I'm a softie, okay? I, I consider myself a deeply emotional person, okay? But how many of you know there are times when your feelings are a terrible guide to tr what is true in life, right? Like, you feel these things, but someone comes alongside and is like, why do you feel? Like, why are you, th where is that even coming? That's so far from the truth. And, and maybe you've been there before. I've been there many times, many times. And for some of us, our feelings become our ultimate authority. For, for others of us, our experiences 
are our ultimate authority. We, we experience certain things in life, right? We, and we determine, because I lived through that thing, because I went through that moment, because I went through that thing, X, Y, and Z must be true. And we draw these truth-based conclusions based off of our experiences. But hear me now. Your experiences can teach you some valuable lessons. It can never define what truth is for you. Your, your, your experiences are valuable. They can teach you incredibly valuable lessons in life. No doubt about it. But they can never define what is true. Why? Because your experiences will go, whoop, boom, whoop, boom. It'll, go, it'll lead you to all different places in life. You will experience all kinds of experiences. The same experience, depending on the day, might hit you differently on day one than it does day two. The same experience. And the, the experience that we have, some are good, some are bad. And if you try to define truth based off of your experiences, you're going to end up with all sorts of conflicting truths. It's not helpful. It, it's, it's not, not only is it helpful, it will lead you to anti-truth. You're going to end up more confused than ever before. You can't use your experiences to define what is true. You need to use the truth, hear me, to interpret your experiences. You can't use your experience to define truth. You need to use the truth to interpret your experience. To put it another way, your experiences can't be the key definer for truth. Truth needs to be the key interpreter for your experiences. Does that make sense? Like, I, like you, you can't say, because I went through this thing, here's my truth. You got it backwards you got to start with the truth and say, help me use this truth, the truth of God, the truth of Scripture, and help me to interpret my experiences likewise. So when you come to these different experiences in your life, these different feelings, these different moments, ask yourself the question, how is God's Word informing my interpretation of this situation? How is scripture forming my perspective, shaping my feelings around what I'm going through? You see, that's what we mean when we say scripture is authoritative for our lives. That's what we mean when we say scripture is the leading authority for our lives. It's because we believe it's the word of God to us. It's the power of God at work in us. And it's the truth of, of God that guides us day in and day out. But, but not only is scripture authoritative for our lives, the scripture is nourishment for our souls. And friends, this is good news to us. Those of us who've, who have lived our lives under the sort of dutiful obligation of reading scripture, I want us to receive this as God's word here today. Scripture is nourishment for our souls. It is nourishment for our souls. Imagine approaching scripture as, as a source of nourishment when I'm thirsty and in a dry and weary land, I drink deeply of God's word and my soul is nourished. Because the truth of the matter is this, that's what the Bible is intended to be. It is intended to be a source of nourishment for our souls. Have you ever noticed how the longest book in the Bible, by way of chapter only, uh, the book of Psalms, it has 150 chapters. Have you ever noticed how the first chapter opens up? How the, first, the, the book of Psalms opens up? Psalm chapter 1 Verse 1, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. By the way, 
this is the only psalm in the entire book of Psalms uh, that's not a prayer. Psalms is, is really the prayer book for, for God's people. This is the only psalm in the book of Psalms that's not a prayer. This first chapter serves more as a, a commentary than it does a prayer. In other words, this opening chapter is to show us what a life that meditates on the law of God looks like. This first chapter is to show us you take this book seriously in your life and here's what it will yield. The psalmist goes on and he describes this life by saying in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its season and its leaf does not wither. No matter the season, no matter the circumstances, no matter what hits this tree, its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. Friends, does that not sound like nourishment for our souls? Right? Like, I, I want to be that. I want to be like a tree planted by living waters. Psalm 119, if you fast forward a bunch of psalms over in Psalm 119. Now, this is the longest chapter, not just in the book of Psalms, but in the entire, entire Bible, Psalm 119. We're not going to spend time reading it all here this morning. But I want to point out a couple of fascinating things about this psalm. Not only is it the longest chapter in all of Scripture, I want you to know this. Nearly every verse in Psalm 119 makes a reference to the significance and the value of Scripture. No other chapter in all of Bible emphasizes the significance of God's holy word quite like Psalm 119 does. When you read through it, almost every single verse will refer to God's statutes, his precepts, his decrees, his laws, his commands, his promises, his ways, his testimonies. These are all references to the scriptures, the word of God. And whenever the writer refers to the word of God, I want you to catch this. In Psalm 119, it always comes with a sense of delight. Not dutiful obligation. Not the sense of like, oh, crap, i got to read the Bible again. You know, it's like, no, there's a sense of, oh, I love the word. And, and friends, I, 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 my hope is that we leave from this place not feeling more guilty, like, oh, I should be better. I should be, you know, it's like, no, I don't, I don't want that for the church. I don't, I don't think that's what God wants for the church. I think God wants, God wants us to be, come to a place where, oh, I, I, I hunger for the word. I thirst for the word. I long for the word. I, I love the word. I delight in the word. Can I give you just a few examples here? In Psalm 119, verse 1, right from the outset, it says, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed is the one who walks in the law of the Lord. There's blessing in the one who walks in the law of the Lord. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24, your testimonies are my what? It's my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Friends, this is a word for some of us. Oh God, would you turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and, and give me life that comes through your ways, through your word. Verse 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me. Your word is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 
verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I might live for your law is my delight. Friends, hear me. There are 176 verses just like these. Over 2,400 words in this chapter alone that shows us that Scripture is intended indeed to be nourishment for our souls. That Scripture is something that we delight in. And as we delight in the Word, God brings delight to us. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 4, man shall not live by bread alone. I forget what song we sang. We sang about, right? This is my living bread, right? This is my daily bread. This is man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from what? The mouth of God. Jesus himself knew we are not nourished by bread alone, but our souls are nourished when the word of God washes over us and when the word of God dwells in us richly it's nourishment for our souls i wonder if there's some nourishment that god has for us even here this morning i wonder if there's if there's a work of of realigning what is the leading authority in my life i wonder if there's some work that god seeks to do in us and in our hearts here this morning i want to invite the worship team forward we're going to prepare to take communion here in just a moment and uh, as we do, I just want to share, you know, as I was studying and preparing for this message, I got to say, friends, I was really struggling. I, you know, like there are times when I struggle putting together a message. Um, this was one of those times, and you can ask my wife, I, even in, late into last night, I'm like, babe, I, I don't know. You know, this is, and part of the reason for that is because there were so many different things that I could have gone into. There are so many different aspects of the doctrine of Scripture that I could have went into. You know, in this message, truth be told, I left out a lot. I left out a lot in this message. We didn't even touch the reliability of Scripture. Uh, we didn't touch textual criticism, the historicity of the canon of Scripture. Uh, we didn't go into issues of infallibility, inerrancy, inspiration, and at this point, you're like, thank God you didn't, okay, because I'm lost already. And maybe for the others of you, you're like, oh, man, I kind of wish you did. We didn't go into this sort of traditional SCAN model, the SCAN model of the doctrine of Scripture. SCAN is an acronym that stands for uh, the sufficiency of Scripture, uh, the clarity of Scripture, the authority of Scripture. We touched on that some, but and, and the necessity of Scripture. Those are sort of four evangelical pillars of when it comes to the doctrine of faith. It goes by scan, right? And so we didn't touch any of that. And as you can see, there's so much that we could have talked about. And the truth of the matter is this, friends. The same can be said about every single doctrine that we cover in the series. Last week was the doctrine of God. How in the world do you fit the doctrine, like everything we believe about God in like a 20 minute, 30 minute message in a single service? You can't, you can't. I, and that's, that's never my goal. My goal is to never try to teach you every aspect of every doctrine. That's not the goal of the series. But rather, what I'm trying to bring to you is something that I believe God is wanting to speak to us in this particular moment, at this particular season, on these particular subjects. Now, it's, I'm not here to teach a seminary course, so it's not going to be a comprehensive course on the doctrine of Scripture. But, but again, if there are subjects and angles that you'd like me to unpack, you can drop those in in our texting service. There's text hashtag sermon, and you can engage with me right there. And, and, and I'll, I'll answer your questions. I'll work in those, those angles and those, those pieces in the coming weeks. Next week is the doctrine of sin. 
Oh, it's going to be a fun one. It's, uh, no one's going to be here. It's like, I'm, I'm going to sleep in that Sunday. It's like, no, come on. It's, it, there's good news even as we talk about the doctrine of sin, okay? So, so, so if there are things that you're, you're chewing on, I, I, I'm, I apologize if I don't cover all of those things, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to prayerfully listen in to the heart of Jesus and saying, okay, Lord, what is it that you want to speak to your people about these particular topics? I believe for many of us, we need a different kind of leading authority in our lives. I think for a lot of us, we have opted to our feelings, to our experiences, to the voice of our peers and our friends, to the voice of others. We've allowed all of those things to be the leading authority in our lives, and we've replaced it with this. I think we need to do some rearranging of the furniture of our souls just a little bit here this morning for those of us who are in that place. And still yet for others of us, it's just a simple act of coming to God open-handed like this and saying, let the word of God nourish my soul in the ways that only you can. For your word is the breath of God that breathes life to my soul. Your word is the power of God that is at work in me. Your word is the truth. It's not just true. It's the truth. It's, it's, it's how I determine what anything in this life is true. It's your truth that I cling to. And so, so nourish my soul in ways that only you can. And as we prepare to take communion here this morning, I want you to consider this thought. In fact, this can be sort of a quasi-third point, if you will. And that is, Scripture is how we best know God. I know that's not new information to some of us. But would you receive that here today, that Scripture is how we best know God? If you're here today and you have a desire to know more of God, if you want to know him deeper, getting into the word is the best thing you can do. And as you get into the word, what you'll find is that all of scripture points to Jesus. All of scripture points to Jesus. You want to, you want to know who God is? Just look to Jesus. You want to know the attributes, the heart of God, the nature of God? Just look to the heart of Jesus. Look to the attributes of Jesus. Jesus was God with skin on. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was the Word in the very beginning who came to dwell among us. He was the Word. I find it fascinating that that's how the writer John chose to describe Jesus. The Word, the Word of God who existed from the very beginning, who came to dwell among us, the Word who became flesh. But he didn't come to just dwell among us. He came to die for us so that we can know the God of the Bible. And that's why we celebrate communion here today. Because we're reminded that we serve a God who is fierce in love, unending in mercy. We sang about it. You are so holy, so mighty, so wonderful you are. So You're so faithful, so selfless, so generous. I mean, that's, that's what these elements represent the broken body of Christ, the shed blood of Jesus, that we serve a God who is abounding in grace and mercy.